0: So I'll be reading from Acts chapter 8 verses 26 to 40. So starting at 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian <coughs> eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came out of the water... The spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea.
1: When I lived at uh, Croydon, I would go down to Burwood to do my banking. That involved getting into the Westfield car park, queuing up, taking a ticket, realising that I had free parking for a little while, getting down to the bank, one of the big four, taking my place in a queue with a number, getting finally up to a teller underneath a sign that said, you're more than a number to us, you're a real person, (laughs) and then speaking to the real live teller, and she would first of all say something like, please enter your PIN number, so you had to put your identification number in, and then you would do your business. One day I was sitting in one of my favourite coffee shops on the edge of Burwood where I didn't have to uh, face great parking difficulties and I noticed a shop across the road, a new business was opening. I saw the word bank, bank of, bank of Queensland. I thought, well, if I had an account in the bank of Queensland, I could come and do my banking while I have a cup of coffee. I went across the road, I went in, And the lady behind the counter said, how do you do, sir? My name is Wendy. May I help you? I said, how do you do, Wendy? My name is David Cook. I'm here to open an account. Wonderful. At that point, the manager's office uh, office door opened and out came Wendy's husband, Evan, and said, how do you do, Mr Cook? We're really uh, pleased to welcome you and to have your account here. That was great. I felt like part of the family. A couple of months later, I took a cheque that came to me from the United Kingdom. I took it in and I said to Wendy, Wendy, I don't know whether I can deposit this cheque here because it's in UK sterling. it's from overseas. Evan came out, Mr Cook, I'll get back to you within the hour. I went back two or three kilometres back to the college. 45 minutes later, the phone call came through. It was Evan, Mr Cook... We can deposit that cheque for you. I just need you to sign a form. May I bring the form down to you? (laughs) Now, I tell you, I don't know when you had service like that from a bank. (laughs) They didn't have to tell me that I was more than a number. They treated me like a member of the family. And when you read the Book of Acts, sometimes you can be overwhelmed by the statistics 3,000 people converted on the day of Pentecost. By chapter 4, 5,000 men in the church. And you might think, well, do I matter? Here is a massive people movement to the Lord Jesus. But do I matter? Does God care about me? And Luke slows down the whole narrative. And he says, now let me tell you about the story of one man. One man, chapter 8, an Ethiopian man a man who is an outsider and God's dealings with him is typical of God's dealings with the many. Now let's look at the text, verse 26. An angel comes to Philip, a deacon, who was scattered from Jerusalem after the death of Stephen. Philip is working in Samaria. Look at verse 5. He's proclaiming the Christ there. And the angel says to Philip, go to the south road, the road which leads to Gaza. Now, we don't know whether Philip had an ambition for a ministry on the south road, but he goes. And on the same road, at the same time, is an Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 27 tells us he is a treasurer of Ethiopia and therefore he would have worn the clothing of a high official of Ethiopia. And to be a high official in Ethiopia, to work closely with Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, one condition, you had to be unit because you had to be safe. And so if he had the garb of the high official, then it would have been known as, a un- as an Ethiopian that he was unit. And he was disappointed because he'd come all the way to Jerusalem to worship and he would not have been allowed in the assembly of God's people as a high Ethiopian official, a eunuch. But verse 28 tells us that he'd made a large investment in a scroll which contained Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit tells Philip to go near the chariot and as the chariot's going along, he hears the man reading aloud, Isaiah the prophet. And look what he says, verse 30. He says, do you, he probably says, do you, do, do, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I, unless someone explain it to him? And much to his relief, he stops the chariot and he invites Philip in. And Luke tells us in verse 32 the very verses, what we would call Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And the Ethiopian says, well, this is what I'm reading. Tell me, please, verse 34, is Isaiah talking about himself or is Isaiah talking about someone else? And Luke says, beginning verse 35 with that very passage of scripture, Philip told him the gospel, the good news, about the Lord Jesus. What did he tell him? Well, look at verse 32. It was Jesus who was led like a sheep to the slaughter. It was Jesus as a lamb before the shearer is silent. Jesus did not open his mouth. In the humiliation of Jesus, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of the descendants of Jesus? For his life was taken from the earth. You see, my friend, you have a physical disability. But we all, all of us have a spiritual disability and that spiritual disability is called sin. We've lived contrary to the real, true God's will. We've either rebelled against him or we've simply ignored him. Now, roll this scroll back, just a few lines. Look at what it says here. He, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. That means he was wounded for our sin. He was bruised for our sin, our iniquities. By his stripes, by his suffering, we have been forgiven. We have been healed. And if you align yourself with this Jesus, if you repent and turn from your self-rule and entrust yourself to him and as a mark of your repentance be baptised, then you can be sure that you will be forgiven and all the benefits of knowing Christ will be yours. And the man says, Well, here's water. What's to stop me right now? I've come to repentance. And so he is baptized as a follower of the Lord Jesus. He returns to Ethiopia. Philip is taken away. And that is the narrative. Well, there are three characters here, aren't there? And I want to spend the rest of my time reflecting on each of these characters. Of course, the dominant character is God Himself. God is the sovereign evangelist. God is the great evangelist. It is God who brings about an intersection which is laid down in eternity. It is the angel who speaks. It is the spirit who directs. Philip, the right man, on the right road, at the right time, and he intercepts this Ethiopian who is disappointed. He's an outcast and he's on his way back from Jerusalem And he just happens to be reading aloud at that moment when Philip comes next to the chariot, Isaiah 53, which is probably the most direct reference to the Lord Jesus in the whole of the Old Testament. And God takes this man and he safely deposits the Ethiopian in the family of God. And then if you flip over one page, you have another intersection. Now, not a disappointed outsider, but a persecuting insider Saul and God intercepts him. And then in the next chapter, God brings Peter to intercept with an ordinary good man called Cornelius. And then if you keep flipping the page, you come to Paul speaking to a wealthy merchant, a lady by the name of Lydia. And all the way along, God has brought these people together. He's the great evangelist. He is the God to whom each of us is precious. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Life without Christ is impossible. Come to him. It gives God no pleasure that you're away from him. And he sets up this intersection, right time, right place, right person, and he safely deposits the Ethiopian in his family. So if you said to me, well, what's your favourite section in Acts? I'd go to Acts chapter 18. If I was going out as a missionary, I think my wife and I would take Acts 18 verses 9 and 10 uh, to put in our missionary cards. Just have a look at that there. Keep your finger in Acts 8. Acts 18, 9 and 10, the Lord speaks to Paul and Paul's in Corinth and it's tough. And what does God say to Paul in direct speech? He says, Paul, don't be afraid. Why does God tell Paul not to be afraid? Paul's never afraid. Too right he's afraid. And don't be silent. But do you mean to say that Paul sometime was reticent about speaking? Too right he was. Don't be afraid. And don't be silent. Because I want you to know that I am with you and you will not come to harm. Why? Because I have many people in this place. God is the great evangelist. I don't know who the elect are. But I know that he has a heart for the elect. He knows those who are his. And it's only as we open the gospel to people that God will call in the elect. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. I'm with you. You'll come to no harm. I have many people in this place. God, the sovereign, active evangelist. Secondly, Philip, the second character. Notice that what Philip is doing in Samaria... God tells him to go and do on the Gaza Road. Do you notice that? I don't know how many times I'd say to students who are going out as missionaries to a foreign mission field, what are you doing in terms of evangelism now? You're in your own culture. You've got your heart language. You see, when you get on that plane to fly to the foreign mission field, nothing magic happens. You're not going to automatically turn into an evangelist. What are you doing now? And notice that Philip is actively involved in evangelism in Samaria and God tells him, go to the South Road and do it there. And what strikes you about Philip? Fitness? Well, he had to be fit to keep up with a chariot. (laughs) He's biblically, theologically able to go from Isaiah 53 to the Lord Jesus. Yes, all those things are true. His sensitivity to the angel, to the spirit. Yes, that's true. But I think the thing that strikes me most about Philip is that he's opportunistic. Here he is. Here's this man reading. And he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? He's my dad. He goes out because of various circumstances to sell insurance. In those days, you'd go out in pairs. My dad's called in and the boss says, now, Cookie, I'm sending you out with Ernie. Watch out for him, mate. Nobody else wants to go with Ernie. Why, my dad says. Because Ernie's a Bible basher. And out they went. And twelve months later they're driving down Burwood Road. And Ernie says to my father, Bruce, it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. Now you wonder about the apologetic value of a statement like that. (laughs) That was it. Now, I'm sure Ernie had put much more into it in that 12-month period, but Ernie was always ready to speak. In fact, the last time I saw Ernie, I was speaking at a men's breakfast at Castle Hill, and Ernie was there, 92 years of age. And I said to him, Mr Crocker, you always had an evangelistic tract on your person. And he said, I still do, David, and he pulled the tract out of his back pocket. (laughs) And he said, there'll be a lot of people in heaven because of this little tract. And I said, yeah, probably because of the death and resurrection of Jesus as well, they'll be in heaven. (laughs) But you see, here was an intersection. How did the gospel come to our family? My mother, a week later, becomes a Christian. My sisters, and five years later, me. Because God had set up an intersection that Ernie Crocker was prepared to speak We had at college a number of years ago a guy who came back from his second trip to a Muslim-majority country. He said, I'll give you the best opening line for the evangelisation of Muslims that I've found. Here's the line. You can use it yourself. It never fails. Hello, my name's Mike. What's yours? (laughs) Now, you substitute your name there. Now, there's only (laughs) fearful. Let's open up a conversation. You see, when I go to England, I say Australians are really shy. Ho, 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 they laugh. We are. We're a reticent, shy people. Here I am sitting in a food mall in Pitt Street, Sydney. I'm having lunch with my friend. He gets up to go and get our coffee. The table next to us, there's about that much space between us, and there's a lady sitting diagonally opposite me, all alone. My friend's going to the coffee. What do you do in our culture? Well, you don't have eye contact, and you don't speak. But I thought, well, I looked at her. She was about 40, 45. She looked at me and I said with a smile, what sort of a day are you having? She said, I think I'm having the most nerve-wracking day of my life. I'm about to go to a specialist for medical results. It doesn't always happen that way. But it more often happens so that I'm surprised when it does happen and I shouldn't be so surprised. Will you, like Philip, be opportunistic? I'm not saying that where you go, you're going to find someone sitting in the hairdresser's salon reading Isaiah the prophet. (laughs) But you never will know. You see, friends, as I look back, I don't think we've ever had more evangelistic training or evangelistic resources than we do now. But do we recognise God as the sovereign evangelist who sets down intersections laid down in eternity? Paul's going to prison. Where's his pulpit there? Cuffed, handcuffed to a Roman soldier next to him. I'm about to get on an aeroplane. There's going to be someone in the seat next to me. I'm sitting in a hairdresser's chair. Someone's cutting my hair. I'm in the queue at Coles. It's all very random. I go every morning at 6 o'clock to a coffee shop where we live. You cannot imagine the sort of blokes who now come and join me there. And they've never heard of our Lord Jesus. Now, we've got to be opportunistic. We've got to be outgoing. Are you available? Are you opportunistic like Philip? Philip the Ever-Ready. But there's a third here, and it's the Ethiopian. Well, let's hear his testimony. Well, I was going along on my chariot. I was reading my scroll of Isaiah, which i just invested in, and just at that moment a man comes alongside and asks me, do I understand what I'm reading? I thought Isaiah might be talking about himself... But he tells me it's about Jesus. And so I came to repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus and I went on my way rejoicing. That's my testimony. (laughs) There's more to it than that. There are some widows who are grumbling because they're being overlooked in the daily distribution of welfare. There's an election that's held. Seven Greek-speaking people are elected as deacons in the church. One of them is martyred. The other six spread out. One of them goes to Samaria and an angel of the Lord directs that one to your chariot, to your road. You see, God is in control of this whole process. He puts the right person at just the right time in just the right place. Question 57, Heidelberg Catechism. It is by faith that we enjoy Christ and all his blessings to us. Where does this faith come from? Answer. The Holy Spirit produces it in our heart by the preaching of, of the Holy Gospel. It's preaching. It's sharing. It's reading that will bring us to repentance and faith. It's incredible. You see, God loves you. God sent his own son to deal with your biggest problem. What's your biggest problem? No, it's not your family. It's not your business. Your biggest problem is your sin, your rebellion, your ignoring God, that one day you're going to stand before God and you've got nothing to bargain with except your sin. Only Jesus is qualified to pay your sin debt and he will do it. But you need to trust in him. See, what I'm saying to you is God has set the judgment day. Flee to Jesus. He will save you. There used to be a man called Frank Jenner. He'd walk up and down in his lunchtime in George Street, Sydney. He was known as the evangelist of the single sentence sermon. He would go up to people at his lunchtime and he'd say, excuse me, sir, excuse me, madam, may I ask you one question? If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? I'll leave you to ponder your response and off he'd go. (laughs) In the book, Jenner of George Street, listen to what happened. A Baptist preacher called Francis Dixon came from the United Kingdom to speak at the Katoomba Convention many years ago and he asked if he could meet this man, Frank Jenner. As Dixon gently, in his precise voice, related the story of four young servicemen in Bournemouth, London, Adelaide, and Perth who had come to Christ through His witness, Jenna burst into tears. He fell on his knees. "O oh Lord," he prayed, "Thank You for tolerating me." Jessie, Frank's wife, who was making a cup of tea for the visitors, came in and saw her husband on his knees in the lounge room and said, what's happened? It's all right, Frank said. These people have come to tell me about some fellows who've come to Christ, some fellows I spoke to. Jessie also started to weep. They all prayed together. Jenna said to his guests, you know, I never heard that anyone I ever spoke to had gone on from the Lord. Some made professions of salvation when I spoke to them but I never knew any more than that. And at that stage he'd been carrying on his work for 16 years every lunchtime talking to 10 people but this was the first time that he had heard of any lasting result. Jenna of George Street, UK Teacher of the Year. What makes you so special to be the Teacher of the Year? I'm a high school teacher. I teach science. I think the key to teaching science is to convince boys and girls that everybody can do science. Don't get put off by the formula. Don't get put off by the laboratory and all the equipment. If you have average intelligence, you can do science. Evangelism. Witness. You may not all have the same evangelistic gifts. You may not all have the same evangelistic opportunities but you've all got the same heart. You can all talk about Jesus and you can all talk about what he has done for you. God has brought salvation to us. We are part of his spirit-empowered people and we know that God has many people in this place. So do not be hesitant. Philip, the ready, the able, the opportunistic, The Ethiopian, a debtor to God's grace, a beneficiary, as I am, of God's planning. God, interested in the one, every one of us precious to him, building a people made up of persons of his very own. Come to him and join us in pressing out and looking for the elect the late Professor of Classics at Auckland University, E.M. Blakelock, in his wonderful little commentary in the Tyndale series, sums up the introduction to acts like this. He says, to press beyond the fringe is always sound policy, provided it is done with vigour and devotion. Press beyond the fringe. That next person, that next house, that next street, that next suburb, that next city, that next state, that next country. Vigor and devotion. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Join with me in prayer. We praise you, our Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit brought us to trust in your Son through the preaching, the hearing, the reading, the sharing of this unstoppable gospel. Fill each of us, Heavenly Father, with an appreciation of the wonderful grace which has brought us to you fill each of us with your Holy Spirit who has been specifically breathed out to remind us that we are your children, that we are empowered for witness. And in him we pray that we will overcome our reluctance and our shyness and be looking for the opportunity of speaking of our Lord and Saviour. For to have him is to have all things. And we pray this prayer trusting in the merits of Christ. Amen.